Could you please open your Bible to James chapter 1? And now let's open in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we can spend now in your word. Lord, thank you that you have spoken to us. We can be very confident that what we have written before us is your word to us. Father, thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who helps us to understand the word. And Lord, may we be receptive to his ministry this night. Please remove all distractions and all hindrances. And please you know, grant to us uh, the grace that we need uh, to be teachable and to apply uh, the message you have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, when was the last time uh, that you pointed the finger at God and blamed him for something? Now, has there been a time throughout this uh, past week where you blamed God for something that unfolded? Or more particularly, when have you blamed God for some sin that you have committed? Now, usually we don't do this directly. Okay, we're a little bit too sophisticated for that. God, you made me do it. It'll be rare for something like that to come out of our mouths. But we often indirectly blame God in our pathetic attempts to excuse ourselves of wrongdoing which is something that we are all highly qualified and competent at doing, we end up pointing the finger at God. Now, here are some examples. We think, if only my spouse was godlier, I wouldn't be so angry and snappy. Lord, why didn't you provide me with a godlier spouse? I wouldn't have looked at that filthy website if I wasn't so stressed. If the Lord didn't make my life so crazy, I wouldn't struggle with this issue. If my childhood was better, if the Lord had to put me into a better home, I wouldn't have the battles with sin that I fight today. You know, I wouldn't be so consumed with bitterness if the Lord had to prevented my health issues. My discontentment would be solved if God would give me a spouse. That's all that I want. If God gave me easier circumstances, I wouldn't be so angry and miserable. Why won't the Lord change that person? It wouldn't be so hard to be kind and loving to them if God would change them. You know, if the Lord doesn't want me to have sex until I'm married, why give me such strong desires and why not provide a spouse? It would be a lot easier to be committed to church if the Lord provided nicer people. You know, we all look to blame someone or something else. This is an unfortunate talent possessed by everybody, and often it's God that we blame. And this has been man's practice from the very beginning. Do you remember in the garden, Adam blamed God. Lord, it was the woman that you gave me. A good one, Adam. Blame your wife. Blame God. But we're no different. Such attitudes are alive and well. They lurk in our hearts. We don't like to take responsibility. We're happy to blame others. And we're even happy to blame God to excuse ourselves. And this is the issue that James is dealing with in the text. It's evident that the people were finding fault with God. That they were believing lies 
about him. And they were doubting both his goodness and his godness. And they were pointing the finger at God. They were blaming him for the temptations that they were facing. They were blaming God for for luring them into sin. They felt as though God had set them up for failure. He was to blame. And the particular struggle seems to be this. It's evident that these people were going through trials and tribulations. James addresses this point instantly. He takes it up in verse 2. And these trials that were evident in their life, they came from God. He may bring them along or he may permit them. But he was doing this for their good. But if they or we respond incorrectly, the testings of God meant for good can become an occasion for sin. And that seems to be what was happening here. And hence they were blaming the Lord for their sin. Now we need to understand that blaming the gods for sin was a common mindset in biblical times. And this was justified because the pantheon of gods, they were impulsive, they were vengeful, they were immoral, and they taunted and they tantalized humanity. But such thinking, it's incompatible with the God of the Bible. The one true and living God. We cannot blame him for our sin. Why? Because he is unable to be tempted and to tempt. This is the next thing that God cannot do. God can't be tempted nor can he tempt. This is the message of this text. And I'd like to unpack this truth about our God. Okay, verse 13 commences, let no man say. And the sentence structure tells us that man was saying. Okay, this is not a hypothetical situation. That this is not something that James perceived that they could potentially struggle with in the future. But this is addressing prevalent and current thinking. Christians were believing that God was tempting them. The word translated tempted is one of those words that has different meanings and context determines the definition. And we have many of these words today. Think of train. I am going to train. That speaks of physical exercise. But I could also say I'm going to catch the train mode of transport. Or like present, I will be present at the meeting Or, I will give you a present. Same word, different meaning, determined by context. And the Greek word translated tempted is pyrazo. And it can mean a trial or a test. And it's used in this sense in verse 2 and also in verse 12. But in verse 13, it speaks of the temptation to sin. And this is determined by the context. So verse 13 could read, let no one say when one is tempted to sin that I am tempted to sin by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he anyone to sin. And although in the context these two definitions are related, as I mentioned, it seems that the trials and troubles led to particular temptations to sin, and we can understand that. 
Okay, financial difficulties can result in a sinful response like doubting God or getting angry with him or resorting to illegal means to make ends meet. That the death of a loved one, okay, that's a trial and it could cause us to doubt God's love or to stop us from walking with him. So within each trial, there is potential to respond sinfully. But understand that comes from us. It's about our response. And the point that is stressed is that although God allows the trials and troubles of life, he's not the source of the sin. Okay, God is not endeavoring to lure us into sin or solicit sin from us. God has never tempted us. God has never tempted anyone to sin. He's not the author of temptation. He's not the author of sin. He does not entice us to sin. He does not have evil intent. He does not allow trials and troubles to lead us into wickedness. Okay, God does not develop what we could call the perfect sin meal. Okay, it contains our favorite food. It's cooked to perfection with our favorite condiments and drink, knowing that it will excite all of our passions and we will stand no chance of resisting. God's not like that. Okay, he's not sitting up there setting us up to fail. He's never the designer nor the implementer of temptation. In fact, it's impossible for God to tempt us to sin. But why is this impossible? Why can't God tempt us? James offers the explanation. God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. Now imagine if it was impossible for us to be tempted with evil. That there was no desire at all. We possess no vulnerability to sin imagine how different our lives would look that would be incredible but this is what god is like he has never nor will he ever be tempted with evil and again this magnifies how much god is unlike us it's very important we understand that god is untemptable there is nothing in him that is susceptible to temptation. He is unconquerable. Every bullet of temptation could be fired at him and none would have any impact. It's impossible for God to be tempted. And understand, it's not that God has amazing willpower. And despite being incredibly tempted, he always says no, but rather he has never been tempted. That there's no allure, there's no enticements at all. God is not susceptible to any such desire for evil. It contains no appeal to him. Now the question is, why is that the case? Well, it's because there's no evil in him. Okay, there's nothing that the temptation can stick its hook into with God. Okay, understand God is absolutely holy, entirely righteous, perfectly pure. He is impeccable in character. Okay, the Bible calls him the thrice holy God. Holy, holy, holy. And that's not said of any other attributes. 
And because this is who he is, as the prophet Habakkuk said, thou art of pure eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. God hates sin. God abhors evil. It's incompatible with who he is and it contains no appeal to him. And think about that. that that's wonderful news for us because what would it be like to have a God who is susceptible to temptation? Think about that. That would be terrifying. Imagine if God could be tempted to be cruel and unkind, to be immoral, to be selfish, to be proud. What would it be like if there was a possibility that God could be tempted to sin and he could sin? That would be horrifying. Who knows what kinds of unspeakable things that could be perpetrated. And yet we can be confident that our God is not evil. He has never committed one sin and he is not even tempted. Okay, the most well-crafted and most seductive temptation has zero impact on God. He is impregnable to temptation, completely immune. Evil has no tug on God's heartstrings. And since this is true, okay, since this is the reality, James concludes, neither tempteth he any man. Okay, God has never tempted us to sin because he cannot. Okay, it's a moral impossibility. It's incompatible with his character and his nature to tempt us to sin. Okay, he cannot be holy, righteous and pure and yet tempt us to sin. Tempt us to break his will. God never has and never will tempt us either directly or indirectly. He is in no way responsible. Okay, our God is a good shepherd and not a bad one. Okay, he will lead us into the paths of righteousness, not the paths of wickedness. You know, what would you think of the parents who said to their child that they were not to eat any chocolate, otherwise they would be punished. And yet the parent deliberately gorged on chocolate in front of their children. They left it laying around everywhere in reach of the children. And when mealtime came, they served only chocolate to the kids. Okay, that would be despicable. That's deplorable, setting your kids up for failure. And yet this is what we accuse God of when we blame him for tempting us to sin. It's completely illogical and irrational. It's incompatible with God's nature and character. God can't be tempted and he can't tempt. So why then are we tempted to sin? Okay, that's the logical question. If it isn't God's fault, then whose fault is it? If it isn't designed and implemented by God, then who is responsible? Why do we find sin so attractive? Why, why is temptation so alluring? Why, why do we succumb? Why do we so often do the wrong thing? Well, verse 14 gives us the answer. It says, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Okay, this reveals who's to blame. It's not God. It's not others. It isn't your circumstances. You're to blame. I'm to blame. We are responsible. 
Now, understand, temptation wouldn't be tempting if it wasn't for the evil and sinful desires that exist within us. And hence, we can't say, my friend made me do it, my girlfriend made me do it, my boyfriend made me do it, circumstances made me do it, or God made me do it. We can't even say, Satan made me do it. You are responsible. Because there would be no attraction to sin if it wasn't for our sinful lusts. It's our own desires and cravings that at that moment make evil seem more appealing than righteousness. Make dishonesty more appealing than honesty. Being liked more appealing than doing right. Instant gratification more appealing than self-denial. Immorality more appealing than purity. Worldliness more appealing than godliness. Pride more appealing than humility. The problem is not some tempter out there, but it's the traitor that lives in here. That is why we succumb to sin. There's no one to blame but ourselves. And the image that James has in mind in this verse is that of a fisherman or a hunter. So think of a fisherman. He uses bait that contains a hook. And he's trying to entice the fish to take the bait. You know, I, I love fishing. And the biggest fish that I've ever caught was at Copeton Dam, okay, out near Rimverell. It was an autumn Saturday. I think it was 2010. And I was in a fishing competition with my uncle. And uh, we were chasing yellow belly. And it was very quiet. We weren't catching anything, which is pretty normal for me. So we thought we'd try something different. And we headed for the timber and see if we could attempt um, a fish to chase one of our lures. I remember I was using a brown dog lure. It's a jackal lure. You can look it up online. And all of a sudden, the quietness was shattered. A big old fish was lured out of its hiding hole and he latched on to my old brown dog lure. And if you're into fishing straight away, if you've got a big fish, you know it's big. And I was with my uncle and he, he didn't believe me. And then it come to the surface and his demeanor changed. And he said quite a few words that I can't say at church or in general. And uh, he, he got uh, very excited. It was about a 15 minute fight. I broke his net, but the fish was landed and it was a 90 centimeter cod. And I was thrilled. But the fish, okay, this fish had managed to not succumb to the temptation of chasing lures for years and years and years. That's why she was so big. But this day, brown dog was too much for her. She flew out of a hiding hole thinking it was the perfect snack. And this illustrates what happens to us with temptation. Varying lures, varying baits, that, that they go past us and we're often enticed. We take the bait and then we're dragged off into sin. We, we, we succumb to the deep well of alluring desires within us. Okay, that's the source of temptation and sin. It comes from within. It's the traitor inside us. There's no one to blame but ourselves. We choose to chase and consume the bait. And this is such a significant insight into our own soul and the nature of temptation. Okay, we are so unlike God because we're not perfectly holy. Our nature is sinful, and hence there's much for the tempting hook to grab hold of in us. Because understand, to be tempted in of itself is not sinful. 
Okay, it's the response that matters. Succumbing to the temptation is the problem. But understand, this is our choice. And hence, we have no one to blame but ourselves. Okay, every time we're faced with a temptation, our faith in God and our love for him is tested. And in that moment, what we love more and what we desire more will govern our decision. But it's always our choice to make. And hence, where to blame when we falter and fall. Okay, so understanding that we're not to blame others. We can't blame our circumstances. We can't blame Satan and definitely not God. Okay, we, we are the source. How can we grow in our ability to say no to temptation and not succumb? Well, part of the way to make progress is recognizing the process of temptation. And this is unpacked in verse 15, which contains a very relatable image. It says, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Okay, so it starts with the temptation. But for it to go any further, we must have a desire or a craving for it. Again, that stresses our responsibility. And the image used here is temptation and lust that they have a baby and that baby is sin. That's the result. And sin, if it's not repented of, leads to death. Okay, sin always leads to death. Death here is referring to physical death, to spiritual death and eternal death. It's all inclusive. And understand when the Bible speaks of death, it means separation. Okay? It never means annihilation okay? as, as human beings we will never cease to exist it's just a question of where we will exist after death whether in heaven or in hell so when it comes to temptation that there's a clear process or there's a clear course that is followed okay we could say there is four steps in temptation, desire, deception, design, and disobedience. Okay, it starts with desire. Okay, if there is no longing for it, we will not succumb. Okay, temptation will never be tempting if we have no desire for it. Okay, there are some sins that have never been appealing to me. Okay, smoking and doing drugs have zero appeal for me and always have. There's no desire. But there are other things that are appealing to my flesh. Okay, so this is the first step, desire. And this is about our emotions and feelings. The second step is deception. And here we believe false things about God, false things about his instructions to us. Okay, we think that God's way is not the best. And we deceive ourselves as we begin to rationalize reasons and justifications as to why it's okay. You know, what I'm about to do, it's not that bad. Everyone else is doing it. I'll stop at this point. I won't go any further. Okay, but I really love that person. Why, why can't I do that with them? Okay, it's all about appeasing your conscience, rationalizing it in your mind. Okay, so this point is all about the mind. And here, lust has 
conceived. The third step is design. This is all about the will. Yes, there's been emotions and feelings, the mind and now the will. Here, we start to make plans to make it happen. How can I do this? What, what do I need to do to eliminate possibilities of getting caught? How can I minimize potential consequences? And this is a conscious decision to pursue last until it's satisfied. This is a decision. This is a choice that we have made. And the fourth step is disobedience. This is where temptation gives birth to sin. That which was desired, rationalized and planned is now committed. Okay, we have done it. Okay, so this is the process that temptation follows. And understand the earlier that we address it in the process, the higher the likelihood of resisting. But the longer we delay resisting the desire, the longer we take to extinguish it, we're far more likely to commit the actual sin. But with an understanding of this process, it again confirms that God is not the one who tempts us. That the process and the consequences are incompatible with his nature. And hence, God can't be tempted and he can't tempt us. But what does all of this mean? How does it apply to our lives? I've got three things I want to share with you. Number one, God sends trials to help us, not to tempt us. Okay, this is the issue that the original audience were facing. Okay, many were the trials and tribulations that they were enduring. And as they faced them, that they had a decision to make. Would they be receptive of the good things that God was trying to teach them and infuse into their lives through these trials? Or, or would they respond sinfully? And we too are faced with that same decision when we have tribulations in our lives. Okay, when we endure trials and troubles, God intends to use them for our good. Okay, that, that's a wonderful thing. There is always a purpose behind difficulties. But if we respond sinfully, that good will not be forthcoming. Okay, and this is a real struggle for us when times are difficult. Okay, well, whatever the trial may be, whether it's our health or it's relationship issues, it's financial struggles, it's psychological, it's loss. Okay, there are often sinful ways in which we can and do respond. But understand, this doesn't come from the Lord. That is our response. And hence, when we're faced with hard times, there's a decision to make. Will I be loyal to God? Pursue obedience okay, and be teachable and responsive to the work that he's trying to do. Or will I take the easy way and be disloyal and be disobedient and miss out on what God is trying to teach me through this time? Okay, that is the decision that we must make. And the stakes are high because if we take the easy way, okay, disobedience, we will miss out on the good that God is seeking to produce in our lives through the difficulties. The second thing, God is never tempted and never tempts. Okay, this is who our God 
is. And this is yet another piece of the puzzle in God's infinite glory. Our God never has and never will be susceptible to temptation. Evil has no appeal to him and he never tempts us to sin. He never has, nor will he ever be the source of temptation. He's not the author of sin. He's not the author of temptation. We cannot and we must not blame God for our sin. He's not involved directly. He's not involved indirectly. And hence, whether we blatantly or subtly accuse him, we can't do that. He is not responsible for your sin. Okay, you don't sin because God has given you desires. You don't sin because God has withheld a spouse or, or some other good gift. You don't sin because God hasn't given you good health. You don't sin because of the, the children or the spouse that God has given you. You don't sin because of the circumstances God has permitted in your life. You are the reason that you sin, as am I. Okay, and if you're blaming God... It's time to repent because you are wrong. God doesn't tempt. He cannot tempt. It's time to stop blaming him and take personal responsibility. And the third thing is that God has provided the way for temptation to be overcome. Now, how amazing that God came to earth. Okay, Jesus Christ is God. And my friend, not once did he succumb to temptation. And this proves that God, even in flesh, living with us, surrounded by other sinners, still isn't tempted by evil. And Jesus Christ came in order to deal with the sin that we succumb to. And without Jesus, as our text says, we will be faced with death. Sin leads to death. The Bible says that the wages or the payment for sin is death. Okay, it's eternal death. This speaks of separation from God forever in hell. That's the payment for sin. That's what we all deserve. Okay, that's the outcome of succumbing to the temptation to sin. Sin produces death so that's that's the bad news we we need to grasp that but the good news is this jesus christ died on the cross in your place he he paid the price for your sin for, for the millions of temptations that you have and will succumb to jesus had all of them placed on himself He was punished. He had God's wrath poured out upon him for you. He was a substitute. He died in your place for your sin. And now if you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you repent of your sin, you will be forgiven. And you won't experience separation from God for all eternity. Jesus has provided the only way that our sin can be overcome. You you can't overcome your own sin. You're not good enough. I'm not good enough. God demands perfection. Okay, we, we can't do enough good things. The only way into heaven, the only way to be forgiven is through Jesus 
Christ. And I trust you know Jesus Christ as your saviour. And if you don't, please talk to someone tonight. But our God has also provided more. Not only does God not tempt us to sin, but he provides us with his spirit, which gives us the power to not succumb to temptation at all. As Christians, we have the Holy Spirit within, which enables us to defeat any temptation. Isn't that amazing? We have divine power within us that can help us overcome the grips of any temptation. God has given us the resources that we require. But without his enabling, we won't experience lasting victory. But with God's help, any temptation can be defeated. Even if you have been in the grips of the same sin for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Okay, that there is enough power to, to break free from that. But it does require the work of God. And it requires effort from your part. There's things that we need to do. And some of these things are very practical. Our goal is to stop the temptation as early as possible in that process. We want to stop it at the desire point. Don't let it get to deception or design or disobedience. Slaughter it early. Now, the particular temptations will vary from person to person. What's an issue for you and me is probably very different. But very practically, that there may be some places that you just need to avoid. It's too much. There may be some things that you need to get rid of in your life. Maybe you need to get rid of your phone for a while. You know, Jesus talks about radical repentance. Cut off your arm. Okay, that, that's metaphoric. But maybe you need to do something dramatic. There may be some accountability that you so desperately need. You need to watch what you're putting into your mind. Garbage in will result in garbage out. Fill your mind with scripture. Ensure you're reading the Bible and praying. Understand at what times and moments you are most vulnerable. And put safeguards in place. And my friend, learn to say no. That's a muscle that we build. The more you say no, the easier it is to say it. Okay, and most importantly, you want your love for Jesus to be growing. You want to love him. You want to desire him more than anything else. You want him to mean more than everything. Value him more than what any temptation offers you. We need to delight in him more than anything else. And that will make the allure of temptation far weaker. You know, perhaps tonight, that there's a need in your life. Maybe you need to repent for continually yielding to the same temptation. Whatever that may be, it just happens over and over and over and over again. You have a chance tonight to make a decision. Repent, turn from it, seek help from others. Ask the Lord to help you overcome. He isn't the one tempting you, but he will be the one to help you overcome it. Okay, he died for your sin. 
And he will certainly help you overcome it in your life right now. That's the message for the Christian. And if you don't know Jesus Christ tonight, remember sin. Sin leads to death. It leads to separation from God. But Jesus died for you. Jesus died for your sin. And his work on the cross is enough. But you need to come to him. You need to accept that gracious gift before it's too late. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you and praise you for who you are. Thank you that you cannot be tempted by sin and that you don't tempt us. Help us to to realize who you are, to believe who you are. And our Lord, please help us as we face varying uh, temptations throughout this week. Help us to to not yield. And our Father, I do pray that if there be a a dear soul here tonight that doesn't know uh, Jesus as Savior, may they make uh, today uh, the day of their salvation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.